Okay, guys, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, we're continuing on. Luke chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 33 today. Before we look at that text, I'm going to read out of the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, chapter 8, it's on Christ the Mediator. I'm going to read chapter 8, paragraph 2 to start us off. It says this, The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is truly and eternally God. He is the brightness of the Father's glory, and the same in substance and equal with Him. He made the world and sustains and governs everything He has made. When the fullness of time came, He took upon Himself a human nature, with all the essential properties and common weaknesses of it, but without sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit came down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowed her. Thus He was born of a woman from the the tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham and David, in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without converting one into the other or mixing them together to produce a different or blended nature. This person is truly God and truly man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and humanity. So the the title of the message today is is The Great Announcement that we're going to see in this text. The Great Announcement. I think we've all had, we can all think of different areas in our life where we hear maybe a a great announcement. Uh, You know, some of them could be maybe more serious than others. You know, maybe a, a great announcement of maybe who's running for president. It could be good or bad. Or maybe it's a close race and you wake up the next morning and you hear the announcement. It could be something in your company. An announcement that brings maybe joy or or maybe depression. It could be an announcement in your family. So-and-so is getting married. It could be an announcement that you're going to have another grandchild. um, Or a grandchild. You know, these type of things... On a, lighter, on a lighter note, you think of announcements in the sports realm. I kind of grew up in the sports realm, Jamie and I. You know, announcement that your favorite team's getting a new coach and who the coach is. Or uh, an announcement that I remember here, living here in Oklahoma, was when the, uh, that the Oklahoma City was going to get an NBA team. That was a big thing for us hillbillies here in Oklahoma City. But just these, uh, you know, these announcements that we hear. Um, but today, guys, we're going to see in this text... And it's really, really what the what the the paragraph I just read in the confession is really uh, just a fulfillment in large part of what the the angel is going to announce to Mary today. Really, the greatest announcement, right? That the that the Son of God's coming to Earth. You know, think of all think of some of the announcements we get and how much joy it brings, and rightly so. But the announcement that that God is going to come to this Earth in the person of His Son. The long way to the Messiah. This is the great announcement we're going to look at today. Mary, as we're going to see, I, I even changed the title of the message this morning. It was Mary, 
a recipient of grace. And that's what we're going to see. Man, she is receiving a great privilege in this text today. You know, this announcement that she's going to she's going to be the one to have to carry the you know, the Messiah in her womb. And so this great announcement, this grace that, that Mary receives from the Lord today, that's what we're going to see. And you know, it just got me thinking about just grace, God's grace that we see Mary being a recipient of today. And you know, this is this is what I want. You know, if you go back and think about this message, I think we're going to see this truth on the back of your bulletin. It's it's that God's grace. When we when we receive God's grace in Christ, guys, it should never lead you to boast. This should always bring humility in our lives. Produce humility. That's that's what I see as we go through this text. That uh, you know, when we're encountered by the grace of God through His Son Christ. Humility should always be our response. It should humble us. And so, with that being said, we're going to look at this text. Verses 26-33. I have three points with the last point having a few sub-points. And let me get over here in my Bible to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. So this may be a message that you would normally preach around Christmas time. We're going to be seeing a lot of that in the next few weeks. But... <clears throat> We're just going through it verse by verse. So verse 26 to 33. Jesus' birth foretold is the section. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Would you guys bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we, we come before You, Lord, in humility, God, uh, before Your Word. Lord, we recognize this as Your Holy Word, the Word of the living God. And Father, I would just ask that You would help me, God, by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak accurately, Lord, to protect me from error. And Lord, I pray that You would uh, help us all to apply what we hear, God, to our lives. Father, we pray that Your will would be done and that Christ would be glorified. Amen. <clears throat> so the first thing we're going to see in the first three verses is the, uh, if, you have, if you have your bulletin, if you want to follow along, if you want to take notes, the first thing we'll see is the appearance and greetings of Gabriel. Hold on just a second. I'm really thirsty. The appearance and greetings of Gabriel. <clears throat> in verse 26, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now what is this sixth month that the text is referring to? Well, this is just simply the sixth month of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Is what That's the section we just moved out of. And you can even see the angel down in verse 36 references that. Elizabeth, which is Mary's cousin. So she's uh, six months along in her pregnancy. And of course, this was the same angel, Gabriel, who appeared to uh, Daniel 
almost 500 years before this, speaking about the Messiah to come, and who just recently appeared to Zacharias six months before. We, we just got through going through that, right? Appeared to Zacharias in the temple, told him that you were going to have a, that your prayer's been answered, your petition's been answered, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the one crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. So that's what this is coming off of. And he said he's going to, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Really, city's a bad word for that. This place is little bitty for, you know, Oklahoma slang, little bitty. It's more of a small town, even a village would be more accurate of, a, of just a few hundred people. Uh, 75 to 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And it's so insignificant, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth. It's just a small, obscure little village. Country village, you can think of it that way. Um, in verse 27, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We know the virgin's name is Mary. But uh, she was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Now I think all of you probably in here are probably aware that, that when, when the Bible talks about being engaged, or maybe your virgin says betrothed, it's a little bit different in that culture. Than our and in our day, and so I thought John MacArthur did it, explained it in a very clear way. So instead of summarizing what he said, I'm just going to quote what he said uh, about about these two being engaged. It'll help us with a little background. In Jewish practice, girls were usually engaged at the age of 12 or 13, and married at the end of a one-year betrothal period. So Mary was more than likely very, very young. The betrothal arranged by the parents was a more binding legal arrangement than a modern engagement. Only death or divorce could sever the contract, and the couple could be referred to as husband and wife. If her betrothed husband died, the girl would be considered a widow. The couple did not live together or have sexual relations during the betrothal period. During that year, the girl was to prove her faithfulness and purity, and the boy was to prepare a home for his bride to be. When the year was up, there was a seven-day wedding feast, after which the couple began their life together as husband and wife. Only then was the marriage consummated. So that's a little bit about uh, the NAS says engaged, but betrothed. That's what was going on with these two. So, so they were, it was during that period, their, med, their marriage hadn't been fully consummated, but they were engaged to one another, which would have required you know, a divorce or a death to, to end this. And so Mary, just a little bit about Mary. Mary, was a, we've already seen that she's probably very young. Uh, she's, she seems to be very humble. We can see that a little later in the text that we'll look at uh, probably not next time, but the time after in her song that she sings. Seems to be a very humble young lady. Um, probably, probably poor, uneducated. Just think of a, of a young country girl, a peasant. Just really insignificant. You have an insignificant small village and an insignificant young lady. And that's what God has chosen. How He chose to bring in His Son to this earth. Very similar to right, John the Baptist. I mean, just think. He called John the Baptist the greatest man born of women, right? Remember we talked about that. It was just... He was a humble man, but that was his ministry. He was privileged to have that ministry and that God would God didn't choose some fancy guy, right? 
in some king's palace, he chose a guy who lived in the woods and ate bugs. <laughs> but that's just the way God seems to do things. So that was Mary. If you guys remember speaking about Nazareth, in John chapter 1, when Jesus was choosing His disciples, and He had chosen Philip, and then Philip went to Nathaniel and said, hey, you got to come. We, we, we found Him. It's, it's, it's the one that Moses and the prophets were talking about in the Scriptures. And what was Nathaniel's response? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That little place? Pink Oklahoma? Are you serious? <laughs> do you... <laughs> But do you see the humble circumstances, guys, in which God sent His only Son? It's beautiful. I mean, from the very start, from the time of His conception. You know, think of Nazareth like this. I've lived in Oklahoma my whole life. Raise your hand. You've lived in Oklahoma your whole life. I know you guys have. But several of us have. Jamie's lived here a lot of his life. And so I've lived here for 47, almost 48 years. I've hunted in different parts of the state, so I've been around. With my dad, used to go fishing and hunting, playing ball, even working for FedEx, delivering to a lot of places. You would think I would know all the towns in Oklahoma, but it never fails. When there's a storm, a tornado storm, right, and the, and the weather's on continually, or a snowstorm, it never fails. They mention some little town, and a lot of times it's not even that far from here. I say, I've never heard of that town. I think that's a lot what like Nazareth was like. You know, you see one of these little towns. And that's kind of like the town that God chose to make this announcement for this little young lady that lived in this little small town. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says God has chosen the foolish things of the world, right? The foolish things of the world, the Nazareth of the world to, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, right? So God receives the glory for what He does. Not man and his pomp. But then it, it talks about Joseph. She was engaged to Joseph in verse 27 still. Engaged to, to uh, a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. Virgin's name was Mary. But, but Joseph, guys, being a descendant of David, if you looked at Matthew's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, he, he shows that. He makes that point. That Joseph came from the lineage of David. And then Mary also, we'll see in a few weeks when we get to Luke chapter 3, Mary is also from the lineage of David. And so really what you have, this promised Son of David that the text is going to tell us about. The Son of God who is also referred to the Son of David really in every way, in every aspect. Because Joseph who adopted Jesus obviously wasn't his earthly father. Because of that, Jesus was legally a descendant of David. And then through his mother, he was a physical descendant of David. And so that's just how accurate and just how precise the Scriptures are. But we see the Lord's humiliation right here at the beginning. For even from conception. We see... Because what does it say? You guys remember Philippians 2. The, the, the Lord, right? Christ says He humbled Himself. This was... We must not forget who it was that we read about in, the, in that opening paragraph in the Confession. This was the eternal God. This was the second person of the Trinity. This is the Creator of the universe. And we see the, the Lord's humiliation that, that not only did He, in Philippians 2, right? He, 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 he humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, being crucified. But even from His very conception, 
He came to suffer. And that's what we see from the very beginning. And, and I think, guys, we get it. Just, just from the beginning of this story and how God deals with humanity and sending His Son and choosing John the Baptist and choosing Mary and Nazareth and then later being born in Bethlehem, a, a real small place. Man, I think we get it backwards so many times, even as Christians. I mean, what, is the, what does the Scripture say, guys? We must not exalt ourselves, but we humble ourselves and let God exalt you. No matter what area of life, you know, let God exalt you like God exalted Joseph. You know, Joseph just remained humble before the Lord and God would exalt him. And I think so many times, obviously our world gets it backwards, right? But even so many times as Christians, we want the attention. We want to be great. Just like the disciples did it. But, but Jesus just keeps telling us, hey guys, I came to serve. Or I, I came to serve, not to be served. Following my steps. And we, we just see His humiliation from the very start. Think about this, guys. The Lord could have appointed Jerusalem, right? The religious capital of the day to have His Son. Uh, he, he, the Gabriel could have appeared to, to maybe a daughter of a rich scribe in Jerusalem. But no, He chose Mary, a young peasant girl in an unknown place like Nazareth. You know, it would have been enough when you think about the eternal God that we that we reminded ourselves of in the, in the confession, that statement we read about just Christ and His eternality and that He is the eternal Son of God. He is Yahweh in the flesh. It would have been a big enough act of humility just to have come to this earth, period. Even if He came in the form of a man but was a rich, powerful ruler, that still would have been such an act of humiliation from where His glory that He experienced from all eternity. But no... He came in the meekest of circumstances. Again, not to be served, right? But to serve. Think about His life. Think about His life, guys. Again, we see from the very beginning. I mean, He was born into a poor family. Insignificant family. During His ministry, what what do we see? He was rejected by men. He was despised. He was rejected even by His friends. Those whom He thought was closest. The first time he, he preached in his hometown, they literally tried to push him off a cliff. And he was quoting the Scriptures, saying this is fulfilled. Rejected at the hands of this world. The world hated him, it said. This is the Lord of glory. And he just he was continually, what was he doing? Serving humanity. Healing. He was, he was full of compassion. And ultimately we know he served by giving up his very life. Right? Even death on a cross. And so that's the Lord humbled Himself and then after His resurrection, of course, God the Father exalted Him. Where He sits at, sits at His right hand right now. But beloved, may we learn true greatness. We're just seeing really what true greatness is. We talked about John the Baptist a few weeks ago, how great of a man he was. We, we talked about his humility. And, and, and we talked about that in that, in that sermon. But just... We need to learn what true greatness is, guys. Our, our world, what do they do? Our world bows before the rich and the mighty. Right? I mean, that's who we see. That's, that's what this world... They glorify it, right? I mean, it's, you go to the store and, and it's, it's, never the, it's never the poor and the needy on front of the magazines. It's always the rich and the wealthy and the beautiful. And that's what our world is infatuated with. But we need to remember what true greatness is. You know what we need to remember? 
When we think about why Christ came, what did He come for? We, 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 we quote it all the time. He came to save sinners. We, we need to understand the value of a soul is what we need to understand. Not the value of our reputation or being rich and mighty, but the value of a soul. A soul is valuable. Is it not? That's why Christ came and did what He did. To save us from our sins. To save individual souls. The greatness, the greatness of a soul. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man if he gained the whole world, all the riches in the world, and yet lost his soul? We see the value in a soul in that statement. You know, you, we think that, that 150, 160,000 people die every day. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't see it on the news. You don't hear it on the news or, 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 or hear people mourn when you know, the homeless man dies on the street. But when a celebrity dies, you do. That's just the way our world does. And, and you know what? It is a tragedy when, a, when somebody great and mighty die if they don't know Christ. It's a, it's a tragedy of all tragedies. But our world has it backwards. They just see the outward. And so we need to understand the value of a soul, whether it's a, the most insignificant person who lives under a bridge in downtown, or whether it's a king. The value of a soul is what we need. We need to have that eternal mindset and understand what true greatness is. And it's being a servant. It's being a servant and, and taking the gospel to the lost. But we just see that humility from the very start in, in Christ and in, in God's purposes and His ways and how He chose to do things. And in verse 28 is where we see the greetings of Gabriel. We, we see His appearance and now we see His greetings to Mary. Coming in, He said to her, Greetings, favorite one. The Lord is with you. I forgot, maybe, I think the ESV may say greetings as well, I think. Um, but you know what that is, guys? Greetings, you know what it means? It means hello. It's just a friendly hello. It says He came in. It's like He came in like a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Hello. You know, why do I say that? Why do I make that emphasis? Because if you have a King James, or I think even New King James, what does it say? Hell, thou art highly favored. Okay? Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar to anybody sitting in here? Think of this, guys. The Roman Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death. Do you know that's where this came from? There's one other text, I don't remember where it was, where... Uh, it came from as well, but this is primarily the text where they created that blasphemous prayer from this text right here. And a lot of it is because of the uh, poor translation of the Latin Vulgate. This, this Hail Mary, uh, highly favored one, it, it, it has it backwards. It's like, highly favored Mary, you're so full of grace that you're going to dispense to us. That is not what it's saying. It, it is a simple greetings is all this is. So the first thing we need to see, kind of a polemical teaching here, correction. This is not a prayer, it's a simple greeting or a salutation. Greetings, favored one. What does favored mean? Grace. Hey, God's, you're a recipient of God's grace today, young Mary. That's all it is. This was never meant to be turned into a, 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 a prayer that we pray to a dead woman. 
favored one. In, the, in this verse, it says, coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. Again, it's just a, she is a, Mary is a recipient of grace, guys, not the dispenser or giver of grace. Okay? Everybody say, Amen. amen. <laughs> uh, but, it, what a great privilege this was. That's what the angel's telling her. You are a privileged woman. And we're going to see she understands that, just like John the Baptist understood his great privilege. Remember? He said, hey, nothing's, nothing's given to anybody except it's been granted by God. And it's the same thing with Mary. She's a privileged woman. But, but that prayer, that Hail Mary prayer that the Roman Catholics pray, says pray for us sinners? Wow, I just wrote question mark after question mark beside that. Pray for us sinners? She was a sinner. Listen to the Catholic Catechism. Uh, paragraph 969. It says, it teaches that Mary did not lay aside her saving office. Well, I never knew she had one. But uh, teaches that Mary did not lay aside her saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. She is advocate and mediatrix. Female mediator. Guys, I know. Okay, first let me <coughs> get that taste out of my mouth. 1 John 2, 1 tells us, guys, I know you guys are familiar with these, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? Not Mary the unrighteous. Jesus Christ is our advocate. 1 Timothy 2, 5, our one mediator, there's one mediator between God and me and the man Christ, Jesus. And so this is simply to say, guys, this was simple, a simple greetings from the angel to this young girl, Mary. Greetings! Hello, Mary. Highly favored one. God has chosen by His grace to give you this great privilege. And what a great privilege it was to give birth to the one who would redeem us from our sins, redeem His people from their sins. But it was never meant to be turned into a really maybe the most blasphemous prayer. Never meant to do that. So we see the appearance and the greetings of Gabriel in verses 26-28. and verse 29, we see, we see the reaction of Mary. And then we'll also see the reaction of Mary in verse 34 next time. But verse 29, the reaction of Mary. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. You know what we see here, guys, with Mary? She understood who she was. Mary understood who she was. She was a, first of all, she was a woman. And why do I say that? She was a woman. She was a female. It wasn't a common thing with the Jews to offer any salutation to women. Unfortunately. And many times, not even a husband to his own wife. Now, can I, can I say that should never be us men? Greet your wife. You get home from work. You're tired. Don't wait on her to greet you. Greet her. Maybe not highly favored one. I'm in your presence now. <laughs> no, but we need to be, I mean, just, it's like, wow. But that, that was true in, in, in that culture. Um, but, but she knew, she knew who she was. She knew that, that not only she was a woman, but a young woman of really lowly social con, conditions uh, or, or positions. She was a humble young lady, we see in verses 48 and 52 in the same chapter that we'll look at when she sings her song. 
until she, she was a believer, guys. She was a humble believer. But she said, but the text says that in verse 29 that she was perplexed. She was very perplexed at this statement. Now, obviously, in the, in the next verse, she was probably a little fearful, like every time in the text when a holy angel appears. But her, she was perplexed by the very words that he said. In other words, I think because of her humility and she recognized who she was, this young lady from a small town, and an angel appearing to her and saying, hey, highly favored one, she's going, who am I? She's really perplexed. I don't know if anybody in here knew, but Carl just started a new job at Hobby Lobby. Right. So I was thinking that'd be like that would be like the CEO of Hobby Lobby, David Green, coming up to Carl, or him getting a message in his first week there. Highly favored one. <laughs> out of all the thousands of employees, how many? They got a lot of employees, and just Carl, like in his first week or two, his his little man, his his uh, area manager coming up saying, Carl, you've been. Highly favored by uh, the CEO. And Carl would be going, what? He'd be perplexed, would you not? But that's kind of what's going on. You know what she understood, guys? On top of understanding her position, she understood she was a sinner more than anything. And we can see that in verse 47. She, she praises God. She rejoices in the God her Savior. Mary was not some sinless woman. She was a sinner and she knew it. And she rejoiced that she had a Savior. That, that, that makes me think of, uh, I'm I just so thankful. You see this young lady and, and, and that God has intimate knowledge of her and, and, has, and has given her such a privilege and she's a recipient of God's grace. It makes me think of Psalm 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is exalted, okay? We remember who God is and He's highly exalted. The Creator of all things. Majestic. The, the Most High, we'll see in a minute. The King of Kings. I mean, Sovereign God of the universe. And yet, it says He regards the lowly. Somebody like Mary. Somebody like you guys. A, a, a simple believer in Jesus Christ. It says He regards you. But listen to what it says next. But the haughty He knows from afar. You know that verse in Matthew 7 where it says, Depart from me, I never knew you. I really think that's Psalm 138. That's that intimate knowledge that He has of His sheep. Of his elect, of those whom he has purchased their salvation on the cross, it says he regards the lowly. That's a beautiful verse, guys. He regards the lowly. Some of the most lowly of God's people on this earth that the, that the world would just throw in the trash can if it could. But God has regard for them. But the haughty, the arrogant, really the self-righteous, whether you're whether you're rich or poor, the self-righteous. He knows from afar. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So we see Mary reacting with humility towards God's grace. That's what we see. Really, that, that, that uh, statement that I have at the top of your, of your, um, of your bulletin or uh, of your notes on the back, or your outline, there's the word, the outline. That's what we see here. God's grace in Christ should never lead you to boast. But to, rather to produce humility. We see that with Mary. You know, we, we, we see Mary reacting with humility towards God's grace, guys. And it just made me think, as I went over this this morning, that's the way you and I should react towards the doctrine of election. Should we not? It should humble us. 
should not make us boastful and proud. I don't think there's anything uglier than a prideful, arrogant Calvinist. They're just—it's the doctrine of election, guys. Is simply it should bring us to our knees. Say, how could God love a sinner like me? Why would you ever choose me? That's what—that's what we see with Mary. What <clears throat> she understands, what Paul says in First Corinthians four seven. What do you have that you did not receive? That's what she understands. And again, that's what John the Baptist understood. The only reason I have this ministry is because it was granted to me by God. Guys, the only reason you have anything physically, financially, health-wise, obviously spiritually, any type of ministry, any type of ability is because it's been given by God. So why do we boast? Why do we boast? As if it's somehow... You know, that we have not received it. And so what a great privilege Mary received. And we see her responding just rather in humility. I think that's her old question. It perplexed her. She wasn't, she wasn't sticking her chest out going, well, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it would be me. And so, lastly, guys, and we'll be here a little while, the announcement about the Son we see lastly. In verses 30 through 33, the announcement about the Son. We saw the appearance and the greetings of Gabriel, the reaction of Mary, and now the announcement about the Son, right? The great announcement. The great announcement. We'll, go, we'll just go one verse at a time here. In verse 30, really verse 30 is before we even get to letter A, if you, if you have your outline. The angel said to her, said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. Again, you have found favor. The word favor, it means grace. I double-checked it, guys. <laughs> I'm not all about pronouncing Greek words, but I can tell you what it means in the Greek. Grace. Okay? That's what it means. And think about it. You found favor, right? Only one woman would have this privilege out of all the millions of, that were alive at that time. I don't know the population at that time. But only one woman could do it, and it happens to be Mary. Highly favored one. You have found favor. That's all it is, guys. It's not a prayer to Mary. Oh, Mary, you're so full of grace. No. It's the same as telling Noah in Genesis 6-8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's God who is sovereign chose Mary, this assignment for Mary in His redemptive purposes. Same thing with Noah. Same thing with you and I. When we find favor, God gives us grace. Obviously, salvific grace. He saves us by His grace. And then anything we do Fruitful for the Lord is by God's grace. Is it not? It's by His grace. He enables us by His Spirit. Everything we do. Guys, we've been given by God. Everything we do. Jesus said, you can do nothing apart from Me. Jesus cast out a demon, guys. Just to try to... Uh, I, 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 want, I want to let you know how much favor you've been given. How privileged you are. Because you know Christ. Jesus cast out a demon... And was asking the Pharise- or he was rebuking the Pharisees. Um, it might help if I have you. If you want to turn there, you can. Just it's in Luke, Luke chapter eleven. I got a little ahead of myself. Luke eleven twenty seven and twenty eight. <clears throat> Before we look at our four subpoints about Jesus, about the Son, this whole idea that she had found favor. 
She was a recipient of grace. Um, so Luke 27, 28, right above this, Jesus had cast out a demon in a man, and he was then he was rebuking the Pharisees for some of their nonsense, their blasphemy. And in 27, Luke 11, 27, 28 says this, While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. Right, right that would be Mary. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But listen to his response. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. You hear that? Jesus is saying, You want to know who's really blessed? Those who hear the word of God and obey it. What does James say? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Right? Who are the ones that are doers of the word? Those who those who have passed from death to life. Those who Jesus said, I laid down my life for my sheep. Who are my sheep? He said, my sheep are those who hear my voice and follow after me. Jesus said, these are the ones who are truly blessed. Now we've already seen that Mary, yes, she's highly favored. But what Christ is saying, it's much more important that you know me. Right? Do not boast about our our wisdom or our our might, the prophet says, Jeremiah. The only thing we should boast is that we know Him. The One who has saved us. That's the true blessing. The true blessing is that very thing. Now, was Mary blessed? Absolutely. Absolutely. And she was a believer. Was she privileged? Yes. She was was blessed. She was privileged. But even in Mary's case, her true blessing came in chapter 1, verse 47, where she says, I rejoice in God my Savior. And so the same with you and I, guys. God may give us... It's really the exact same thing we talked about when we looked at John the Baptist. Right? He was greatly privileged. More than any any person. But Jesus said, you know, those who are born into the kingdom of God are even greater. It's a greater thing to be born into the kingdom of God even than being given the greatest ministry here on earth. That's the point. He's making the same point again. And so, yes, she has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. She is a recipient of His grace. And now we're going to look at verses 31 through 33. Just these four letters on the back of your bulletin about Christ, first of all, that He is Savior. He is Savior. In verse 31. And behold, the angel says, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. Okay? You shall call His name Jesus. Do you remember what uh, I think it was, well, yeah, it was Christmas Day. The text we looked at, Matthew one twenty one. The same, you know, Gabriel appeared to Joseph and said the same thing. It was a little more. He gave a little more information though. He says, "You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." That's what the word Jesus means. Joshua, Yahweh saves. God has come to save in the person of this of this boy, the son named Jesus. He's a savior. So I don't think we need to go back over all that again. He came to save us from our sins. John 3.17 For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world or to condemn the world. At least not the first time. But that the world might be saved through Him. He's a Savior. That's what we see. That's the significance of His name. You have these people, they come up to you when you're out preaching, they want to argue about how you pronounce the name. I'm just like, what does his name mean? He's a savior. That's what's more important. Who is he? 
Emmanuel, God with us. What does Jesus mean in English? I speak English. I don't speak Hebrew or any other language. I speak English and the name is Jesus and it means Savior. That's what's important. So the question we need to ask is has He saved you? That's the more important question, isn't it? Rather than how we pronounce His name. Has He saved you? Has He saved you? Have you been saved by God's grace? Next, in verse 32, we see that He is the Son of God. The Son that she's going to bear. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. Well, we'll just look at the first half of that verse. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. You know, the Most High was a very common name that the Jews would have for, for God. David used it a lot in Psalms. We looked at that name on Wednesday night here a while back. But the Son of the Most High, it just, it just means the Son of God. By nature, He is the eternal Son of God. He always has been. God the Son. So you guys understand that whenever the Scriptures speak of Him as being the Son of God, it's always referring to His deity. It's a, it's a language of deity. One in nature. He comes from the same essence. God the Son. I, I like using the phrase God the Son in our culture. It clears up a lot of confusion. They say, well, He was... you know, Because they think, people think He came to, into existence at His birth. He didn't. And that's not what this text is saying. Just said he will be called the Son of God. He always has been the Son of God, like the confession we read stated, the eternal Son of God, but he will be called the Son of God. He will be, he will be known to be the Son of God, this one that's in your womb. And really, this is why he's great. In that verse, it says he will be great. Remember, it said John the Baptist would be great. And we kind of looked at some of the greatness of John the Baptist, right? His humility, his ministry. But He's going to be great just because of who He is, right? He is Yahweh. He is God. He's eternal. All the attributes of God He possesses because He is God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful, right? He calmed, the, he calmed the storm. He forgave sins. He told people to get up and walk when they were lame. He rose the, raised the dead. We see His greatness in His life but because of who He is. He's the, the Son of God. God the Son. Matthew one twenty three. That same conversation that Gabriel was having with Joseph. He went ahead a couple verses later. Obviously there were no verses in that time. But in our English Bibles. In verse 23, The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which when translated means God with us. So he said, call him Jesus. Joseph. Because he's going to save. He's a Savior. His name will be Emmanuel. This is God with us. God, Yahweh, saves. This is why He's so great. But he's, he'll, he'll, He is the Son of God. That's who He is. Always has been. Yahweh has come to save. God the Son. So He's a Savior. He's the Son of God. And, and third, He's the Son of David. Still in verse 32. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His Father, David. I'm just going to read three or four scriptures from the Old Testament. There's many more. I'm going to read about three and then one from the New. On this whole point of him being the son of David, <clears throat> 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13, this is what is referred to as the Davidic covenant. 
that the Lord made with David. He said, I will raise up your descendants after you. Now this is, as far as near fulfillment, Solomon fulfilled this. But ultimately it was Christ. It was always pointing to Christ. I will raise up your descendant after you and I will establish His kingdom. I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. This is the, the ultimate fulfillment of that. It's Christ, the Son of David. Isaiah 16.5 A throne will be established in loving kindness and a judge will sit on it in faithfulness in the tent of David. Psalm 132.11 The Lord has sworn to David of the fruit of your body I will set up your throne. And again, this throne is an eternal throne. It endures forever as we're going to look at here in just a moment. Jeremiah Jeremiah 23.5 I will raise up for David a righteous branch. A righteous branch. And he will reign as king. And then a text Shiloh read to us earlier, Revelation 5.5. This is uh, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I believe, as we're going to look at in just a minute, that he's not talking about a type of any type of temporal or any type of earthly or political kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom that is eternal, that one enters by faith. I believe that's what this kingdom that he's talking about. And that's really our last our last sub point is, is looking at his kingdom. His kingdom is eternal in verse 33. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read 31 through 33 again so we just get the flavor of it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the Savior of the world. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. The long-awaited promise king that would reign on David's throne. And then verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and His kingdom will have no end. So His kingdom is eternal. Last, last. This phrase in verse 33, He will reign over the house of Jacob. His kingdom will have no end. I don't think this is talking about a literal sense, but I think He's speaking, because of this kingdom that has no end, I think He's speaking about the true Israel of God. In Romans 9.6, a few more verses here, guys, then we'll kind of wrap it up and tie it all together. In Romans 9.6, Paul says, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. They are not all Israel that are descended from Israel. So what does it mean to be part of true Israel, I guess you could say? Philippians 3, verse 3. Well, first let me ask the question, guys. In the New Testament, when you read, when you're reading, when we're talking physically here, and 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 where it'll 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 refer to one group of people as the circumcision party and the other as the uncircumcision. Who's the circumcision? It's always the Jews, correct? Jews are known as the circumcision, the Gentiles are known as the uncircumcised. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 3. Again, this is written to primarily Gentile believers, the church at Philippi, and Paul says this. For we are the true circumcision. Okay? You Gentile believers. You Gentile believers who have faith in Christ, we are the, we are the true circumcision. 
obviously Paul himself was an Israelite. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of our God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. No confidence in your lineage, in other words. We're talking about the true circumcision. Very similar language in Romans 2, 28-29. Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart. The Hebrew Israelites did not like it when I used to tell them I'm a true Jew. And they were just actually lost Gentiles. That really confused them. But biblically speaking, that's true. Listen to, listen to Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ. Again, these are written to Gentile believers. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. All of you guys in here, if you belong to Christ, you are true descendants of Abraham. And it says, heirs according to the promise. Beloved, I think that this, this promise of, of, of the Messiah here in this text, this, this, that this is the promised king that would reign on David's throne. And his kingdom is not a, it's not a temporal kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom, but it's eternal. And it's not just for the Jews. But it's for all who repent and believe. It's all who... It, it. Remember what Jesus told Pilate? When He was standing before Pilate? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. I think this is the kingdom He's talking about. This is His, his eternal kingdom that we enter by faith. Because this is the kingdom that's going to last forever. This particular kingdom that it's referring to. And see, this, is, this, this language that I'm reading here in these verses... Because many people will say this type of language says that the church replaces Israel. That's not what this is at all. This is not anybody replacing Israel. No, but rather the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. It's Jews and Gentiles alike. It's all who have faith in Christ. That's what this kingdom is. This is the eternal kingdom. All of those who are in Christ are Abraham's descendants, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Paul was a true descendant of Abraham. Why? Because he was a, a Jew by birth? No, because he had faith in Christ. You and I are true descendants of Abraham according to these texts because of our faith in Christ. True Jews, part of the true circumcision and part of His eternal kingdom. So just kind of wrap it all up. What a privileged young lady was married. The privileged virgin. <laughs> that this is, we cannot take our eyes off of what good news this announcement is. This is good news. This is the best news. That, that Mary would be privileged through the, as we'll see next time in verse 35, the Holy Spirit coming upon her and, and, and in her virgin womb carrying the Son of God. Carrying the One who would redeem His people. Remember who His people are. All of those that the Father had given Him before the foundation of the earth and those whom He came to give His life for. 
Oh, what good news. What a, what a glorious announcement this is. That she was going to, in her womb, be carrying the One who is Savior of the world. Not just Savior of a nation physically, but Savior of His people. From every tribe, tongue, language, people group. That's what we see here. This is the promised One. Who was promised. We always go back here, right? All the way back in Genesis 3. This is the One. This is the One. Who was the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who was going to come and put on flesh. And basically add an additional nature. He was always the Son of God. Now He's going to be truly man and truly God. The promised Son of David. David was a type of Christ. Is what David was. He was a great king. But ultimately, He was a type of Christ. And this is the fulfillment. And He was going to bring His eternal kingdom. And you know, we could have differences on some of this. But the more important question is, all of this right here that we just looked at, that she was going to give birth to the Savior, who's the Son of God, the Son of David, with an eternal kingdom. So what? What good does it do just to know that stuff? Are you a citizen of this kingdom? That's the question. You see, we're a citizen of the United States of America, right? We know that this nation's going to come to an end one day, or we're going to die, one or the other. It's temporal. This kingdom, it says, will have no end. Are you a citizen of His kingdom? What does it take to be a citizen of His kingdom? Raise your hand here, guys. I've got a pretty good idea, but who was with us at the very beginning when we went through the Beatitudes? (laughs) As a a new church plant, did we not emphasize this at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5? Matthew 5, verse 3. That Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was given a description of what citizens of His kingdom look like. And He started off with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You guys remember how we just emphasized that? It was the foundation of that entire sermon. And that phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, it's a description of somebody in the kingdom. Let me turn over there real quick, guys. Blessed are the poor in spirit was the, was the first of the Beatitudes. And then you had ones like, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle. All of these were a description of, of those who were citizens of the kingdom. Basically, humble people. The first one here, Blessed are the poor in spirit, is a description of somebody who is entering the kingdom. How do you enter this kingdom? Well, you don't have to have a... Um, you don't have to have a... Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? When you go to another... Passport! <laughs> you don't have some kind of passport. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. You don't have to be of a certain nation. No, you have to be made poor in spirit. That's how you enter. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word theirs, it was the same with all of those. It was an emphatic pronoun that meant theirs alone. Only those who are poor in spirit can enter this kingdom. That's how you enter, guys. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? You recognize who you are before a holy God. You recognize that you are spiritually bankrupt. 
You recognize that as the Scripture says that I am dead in my sins. That my heart is deceitful above all things. That I am desperately wicked. That God takes no pleasure in wickedness. That He does not dwell with evil. And then you begin to see that's describing me. I am a liar in God's eyes. I am a thief. I am a blasphemer. Jesus said if I look with lust, I've committed adultery. I'm undone. I need a Savior. I don't have any good works to offer God. My good works are like filthy rags. And you begin through the power of the Spirit, you begin to be made poor in spirit. You realize your true condition and you come to the Savior by faith. You come to the Savior by faith. There's no boasting, right? Somebody who's poor in spirit is not boasting. It's the tax collector. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's how you enter this kingdom. That's how you enter His kingdom. This kingdom will be fully consummated when the new heavens and the new earth come. And guys, I know, I know some of y'all, we, we, have, we have some different views of eschatology. That's fine. That doesn't change any of this. This is the eternal kingdom, the eternal new heavens and new earth that go on forever and ever. And there's only one way to enter. And it's to be made poor in spirit. It's to repent of your sins. And to trust in Christ and Him alone. That's how you come. There's no boasting involved. Remember what Paul said? Far far be for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, the only thing you and I boast of is the cross. The cross is what made, is what gives access to this kingdom because of His work on the cross. So yes, we boast and. And and the fact that Christ paid for my sin upon the cross, and because of that, I can come and receive forgiveness of sin and enter into this kingdom and be made poor in spirit. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who have been made poor in spirit, we do hunger and thirst, do we not? Oh, I know you guys hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are you. And so that's what we see, guys, this greatest announcement that the Son of God is going to be is going to be born to this meek and mild, insignificant young lady in this insignificant town. And that's just the way God does. That's the way He accomplishes His purposes most of the time. And so praise God, guys. We don't have to be high and mighty. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be wealthy. Just confess your sins and come to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You're a friend of sinners. We thank You, Lord, that You don't require us to have certain amount of education or a certain amount of money or a certain amount of status in society, Lord, but, or, or, or have certain parents from, from a certain ethnic group, God, but You just require us to come to You and to confess our sins, to repent and to, and to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and we can enter into Your kingdom that lasts forever. Father, we thank You, Lord. We thank You for Your grace, God. I pray that Your grace would humble each and every one of us in here, God. That we would be humble recipients of Your grace, Lord. That we would never look down on our neighbor, Lord, who has not been a recipient of Your grace, God, but that we would reach out to them with this good news of how they can come to this kingdom that that they'll never be forsaken in. Lord, that they'll be be a part of this kingdom forever, God, because of Christ and His work. Lord, help us to be kind and compassionate to those around us, Lord, and to point them to Christ. Father, we we thank You. We praise Your holy name.
In Jesus' name, amen.